Hey everybody, welcome to Artifice episode 98. Um, I'm recording this, I normally record intros on Monday mornings, but it's Sunday night, so I'm a whole different kind of an Emily right now. Um, gosh, I know I said this in last week's intro, but I've just been in such like a vibrant mood lately. Um, I always have insomnia, it's just like a thing that I, I mean, truly always, like since I was a small child. Um, and you know, nothing is different lately. I still just, you know, I don't sleep well. I'm awake a lot in the middle of the night, but I have been like bolting, like jolt, sorry, not bolting. I'm not bolting awake. I've been jolting awake at like 7am, 7.30 maybe, which some of you who are early morning people might be thinking, Emily, that's not even early. But when you're going to bed at, you know, 1am and then being awake also from like 3am to 5am being wide awake at seven in the morning is is weird um but I think I'm just like so excited about so many of the things that are going on I like I have a busy brain and I just wake up like and I cannot wait to go downstairs and just be working on things um so and you know I don't know my point is other than I feel happy. Um, and I, I don't know if it's, you know, I think it's probably a combination of the springtime and I'm all vaccinated now. So I'm, you know, getting to see some people again, which feels, you know, really good, despite the fact that I'm such an introvert. It's, it's been nice to see some friends and mostly I think I'm just so happy to be making music and working on new projects, um, have some like you know, live shows coming up, which is really exciting. Anyway, so um, yeah, I hope that some of that, um, some of those kinds of feelings are happening in your life as well. Um, today's guest is my friend Katie, who I, she was one of the very first people that I met when I moved to Utah. Um, we were both teaching, um, I had just finished my master's like, you know, a couple of months before I moved here. Um, and we were both teaching at this little music conservatory in Park City. Um, and, uh, you know, we'd just kind of pop out and see each other in the hallway, like in between our students. And um, I think we just kind of hit it off right away and always um, had a nice little little vibe. Um, and it was so fun to be able to interview Katie all these years later. I haven't talked to her in a really long time. Because um, I moved to Utah now like eight years ago, which is crazy to me. It doesn't feel like it's been that long. And on the other hand, it feels like a lifetime ago. So I don't know. It's weird. Um, but Katie and I did this interview back in November. Um, so I, I've been kind of holding on to it for a minute, um, for plenty of reasons that are not really important. Um, but, uh, so if you hear us kind of talking like the world was a different place, it's because it was, um, in fact, the week that we did this interview, uh, the election results were pending. So it was kind of a, kind of a stressful time. Um, but that is not important right now. What's important is for me to introduce you to my sweet friend, Katie. Katie McKell believes that art is a method of expression and also a method of understanding. It's the documentation of how a person sees and interacts with the world. After completing a double major in art and music at Westminster College in Salt Lake City, Utah, Katie earned her master's in secondary education at Grand Canyon University. As a teacher, Katie primarily works with special education populations, including Title I, emotional disorders, and behavioral disorders. She spends the majority of her time working with students 
to help them build a relationship with their creativity. While technical skills are given plenty of focus, Katie sees greater value in helping her students get to know themselves as they explore the creative spectrum in both visual and performing arts. She's a firm believer that art serves as a bridge between all facets of our personalities, allowing us to bring our whole selves together, and loves teaching her students to embrace failure as part of the learning process. Katie is currently working on a meditative arts practice curriculum to combine therapeutic practices like dialectic, behavioral therapy with the visual and performing arts and plans to pursue a PhD in this same vein. In her own work, Katie is quite painterly. She likes to see her brush strokes and the way different colors interact with one another. She enjoys seeing evidence of a process, evidence of failure and problem solving rather than focusing on a perfect final product. And you can find her work on Instagram at uh, at Mikkel Katie, which is M-I-K-H-E-L-C-A-I-T-I-E. And that's going to be in the show notes as well. Um, and, you know, per usual, um, I think you can tell from the bio that Katie is awesome. And we get into talking about all of these things in the interview. Um, and she has so much insight and resilience and, um, you know, just, I don't know, I really like her philosophies about making art and teaching art and um, it's lots of good reminders for all of the, all of those of us who um, pursue things that are creative, um, especially things that are um, out of our comfort zones creatively and certainly all of those of us who teach creativity and that could be professionally or, you know, anyone who's a parent or an older sibling or an aunt or an uncle or, you know, whatever. So, um, that's it. Uh, sending all of the best, happiest, you know, late spring, early beginning of summer vibes your way. Um, if you want to kind of be keeping track of all of the stuff that I have going on, make sure you're following me um, other places besides here where like uh, my music and my art actually lives. Um, okay, that's all. Please enjoy Katie. Great art almost feels like magic. It opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly. Of course, behind all great art, there are artists. And I think that's where the real magic happens. As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. And maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. That's the goal here. And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. Because it's been a really long time. It has been so long. And so, so I was I was thrilled when you reached out to me um, uh, just because, you know, I have really good memories uh, of us at, at the Utah Conservatory. It was such a different time. It was. Yeah. So for the listener, Katie and I, um, we met when I very first moved to Utah and I had just finished my master's degree and I didn't have any contacts here. I didn't know anybody here. And so I got a job at the this little music school in Park City called the Utah Conservatory. And Katie was teaching there too. So I was teaching voice and piano and you were teaching violin and also piano or just uh, violin? violin and viola. Violin and viola. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. And so we, you know, we didn't like hang out a ton, but we mm-hmm. would see each other. Like maybe if we both had a student cancel at the same time yeah, or hang out and then you always had really cute shoes. And, oh. and that's what like, that's what like always <laughs> stuck in my mind. I was like, oh. I Dang, don't, Emily's got some good shoes on today. I like don't wear heels anymore. I feel like people oh, that, that knew me in that time of my life, like, so really when I say that time of my life, like from the time I was probably like 15 until I was like 
26 mm-hmm. i wore high heels like legit every single day oh man kudos to you yeah, I, I don't walk, i don't do it anymore i walk just like my dad you know very <laughs> heavy on my footsteps and i just my only goal is to get from one place to the other as fast as humanly possible you know it's something like it's my family like my i remember being a little kid and my great grandmother my mom's mom's mom Mm -hmm. um being in a wheelchair and wearing these like little stilettos like i just i just had it in my mind like women women Mm -hmm. wear heels yeah and i i wore them like i seriously like i had to walk like a mile from my apartment to campus in college and like i wore heels like (laughs) every day and now i feel like i can barely wear heels like uh, I, I still wear heels on gigs, but like, it's, uh, it's bad. Yeah. My entire like skeleton is wrecked the next day. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think I own, actually, I don't think I own any heels. I might own one pair. They're but, bad for your body. Yeah. But, I, um, I wore them to a wedding and then I called it a day and I was like, you know what? These look cute on the shelf. That. We're going to leave it on the shelf. We're just going to look at it and appreciate it for, we're going to call it a statue. <laughs> it's art. Yeah. It's, it's a little sculpt. It's sculptural yes. inspiration in my closet. Yes. Well, so anyway, we, we talked a little bit back then and we were both like in such different places mm-hmm. in our lives. And then I only worked there for about one year. So that means that I probably haven't seen you in like seven years. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. that sounds about right. It's a long time. So one of the reasons that I was excited to interview you is you, you do so many different things. So, mm-hmm. um, so I'll just say upfront, like you, you have, you got your degree in music mm-hmm. and then you, did you just go, you just went back to school. You just finished another degree. No. So, so I kind of did everything backwards. Um, so I actually double majored in art and music okay. because I'm stubborn. Yeah. Somebody told me I couldn't do it. So I did it. Yeah. Like I was like, nope, not going to happen. I'm going to do what I want. Cause yeah. I actually, my music professors, my art professors were really supportive. Um, you know, they, they were more concerned about helping me accomplish what I was setting out to do. My music professor spent more time telling me why I was not able to do that yeah. and why I would be like, I had them tell me straight up. They're like, you will never be a good music teacher. And that made me want to do it more because I am a very Jeez. headstrong person. Yeah. I'm like, if you're going to tell me I can't do something, um, I'm going to just show you that I can just like because. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I got, I got my bachelor's in, you know, it wasn't a BFA. It was just a BA because there was no freaking way that was going to happen with two of those things. Yeah. Um, and then I moved to Virginia and I got my master's in education. Okay. Um, and I've been heavily considering going for a PhD. Cool. Um, so that's, so that's where I'm at in well, life right now. Let's, um, let's take, so let's take in our minds that Katie does music and visual art mm-hmm. and is like an artful educator. And then let's go back and, and talk about like how you got there. So awesome. I love to, I, I, I really am kind of obsessed with like how people's identities and mm-hmm. kind of character traits like develop in our in our childhoods and youths and I'm, I'm interested in how they change and continue to develop in adulthood but I feel like understanding those roots is like mm-hmm. I'm so interested in it and it's so funny you say that because that's half of what I teach because I also see value in yeah understanding where the person behind art comes from well i think that's why i'm interested in it because i'm Mm -hmm. i teach kids too yeah and i feel like if we can learn how to 
I mean, it's just, it's, it's critical to like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's that those ages are critical. So, um, so let's, so I always start kind of by asking people the same question, which is what were you like as a creative child? Like what, what, when you look back at your childhood or, you know, people that knew you as a kid tell you Mm -hmm. what, what evidence was there that you were, had creative stuff in your future? Um, honestly, I I had a lot of support. Um, so my grandfather, he actually teaches at Salt Lake community college. Okay, cool. Um, as a, as a calligraphy teacher and he's a watercolorist. Awesome. And he's, you know, he's done that for, I I can't even tell you how many years that's, that's been his occupation, um, for a really long time. Um, you know, so he supported me, my grandmother plays a lot of, you know, she's played piano and organ. So I had support from them. Um, That's I your, was your grandmother. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so my, my music, mom's parents, your mom's parents. Okay. And my parents were pretty, I mean, they were kind of inconsistent because there was a lot of stuff going on yeah. in my childhood. And I was primarily raised by my great grandmother. Okay. Um, with my mom, um, and my dad, he had to work out of state a lot. And so I didn't get to see him as much. Um, but they were really, uh, supportive all all three of them you know I, I guess all five with my grandparents included cool really important uh people in my life you know they were really supportive um maybe this is a weird question but mm-hmm. so you you have you have all of these adults in your in your life when you're a kid which mm-hmm. you know I think for some of us that's really I mean it's not totally uncommon but mm-hmm. but I mean some of us definitely have you know fewer much less variety mm-hmm. of adults in it. I'm wondering if like, in addition to the fact that, you know, they had kind of a variety of skills and creative mediums. Yes. Did you feel like there was also like a variety of just personalities? Like I very think much so. Did, did you as a kid, like, you know, know that you could go to this adult with this kind of interest or like, yeah, I, I would say that that was, uh, that, that's definitely true. Um, you know, I went to my mom for certain things. I went to my dad for certain things. Um, my Nana, I kind of went to her for everything. Yeah. Like she was, that's your great grandmother. Yeah. That was my okay. great grandmother. Um, and she, we lived with her, okay. um, in her house and, and she was a huge figure in my life. Yeah. You know, when she passed away, it was, it rocked my world. Yeah. Um, and I actually, and that was about actually when we, when we met, um, I was working at the conservatory when she died and, and that was a rough time for me. And I actually considered leaving the arts. Yeah. Um, when I lost her, I don't, you know, and I can't tell you why there was not really a whole lot of logical thinking. Grief is at that tricky. Time. Grief is, grief is a wild ride. Yeah. Um, and it's so fascinating to see that people can grieve different things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, cause I would actually say I am in a period of, of grief, like a period of mourning at this current time, um, which definitely has been shaping the art that I've been producing yeah. for myself as of late, because mm-hmm. I'm very much, and I tell my students this all the time, you know, the, the day I stop creating art for myself is the day I can no longer teach you to make art. Um, you know, I, I choose to lead by example. Yeah. You know, if I'm expecting my students to make art, I better be making art too. Um, Fully, fully agree with that. And, and you can definitely see a huge shift in, in the art that I've made. So 
primary what I've been primarily doing is portraiture. Okay. Uh, you know, people will sit. It, it's so funny. I I like to tell people I paint dead people <laughs> because a lot of people will send me pictures of a deceased relative sure, and they're like, yeah. please paint this for me. Yeah. And which I'm like, I'm glad to do. I'm very yeah. honored to do that. And I try to be as respectful as possible. Yeah. Um, but you're, but, but I've noticed a big shift and I'm doing that less and yeah. I'm exploring my own grief yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. more. Yeah. So instead of exploring other people's grief, I'm, I'm kind of getting in touch with my own, my own grieving process. Um, yeah. and it, it, it's been a wild time. Yeah. It's been wild. Do you, um, nor, I, sometimes I try to go in order mostly just so that I can remember, but mm-hmm. do you want to, do you want to talk more about that now? Like, yeah, like maybe kind of, I'm trying to think of like, so, so I find that like, it helps me as an interviewer to like get an idea of where people are coming from so that I can mm-hmm. ask better questions about what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I already know you a little bit, so I th- I think maybe I would like to hear like how you feel like your art is changing. Like, wh- like what are, what yeah. can you be more specific about like what's interesting you? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, so I have like been trying to really tap into like raw emotion, yeah. like expressing uncomfortable emotions. Yeah. Um, because lately I've been experiencing a lot of uncomfortable emotions and, and you're not, and, and I didn't really fully explain to you what's been going on. Um, but I guess now is a good yeah, time. Yeah, go for it. Um, if, you, if you want so, to. So for the last 14 years, I have struggled with an eating disorder. Okay. And that's actually where I went this summer was a rehabilitation center for eating disorders. Good. Um, and I, I have struggled with mental health issues yeah. for, for quite some time, but it started getting really bad in 2018. Um, you know, I was, I was in an abusive marriage yeah. and, and I finally left Good. and all of a sudden, you know, I, I was left to pick up these pieces that I didn't even know were there. Totally. You know, I, I had to try and figure out who exactly I was. And I, th- I thought I knew who I was. Yeah. And that's why I say I'm in a period of mourning. Cause I am mourning. I'm still mourning the loss yeah. of who I thought I was. Yeah. And I'm still trying to figure out what exactly I not, not necessarily what I'm supposed to be, um, but who I'm wanting to be I, and, I and trying that. to fulfill that. Yeah. And it's hard because if I, I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself, you know, logically I can say, you know, there, I don't need to be a specific way. Like however I turn out is going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. um, but internally that it, it's hard to embrace that. And oh, so, man. and so I've been trying to explore that a lot yeah. with my art you know, kind of, it's almost been like trying on hats, Yeah. you know, trying on different, uh, aspects of my personality to see what still fits and what still feels good and what needs to go. Yeah. And it's so hard to let go of part of your personality that's no longer serving you well. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's been, that's been a rough journey and I'm so thankful that I have a a supportive partner. Um, you know, Corey has been, just I, I'm just over the moon that I'm with him. Like he's yeah. such a delight. He's a brat, but he's a delight. Um, and you know, I'm I'm forever thankful for his support. I really understand this, and and I I didn't know any of the specifics. I mean, I knew you got divorced, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I just I just have 
I have felt like based on kind of what you write mm-hmm. that like in some ways we had been going through similar things in the last couple of years. Yeah, there yeah, there's <laughs> been a lot of parallels and I'm I'm not one to really talk about it too much because yeah. I don't want to be that person, yeah. but I also see value in expressing it and and not necessarily a public way, but but being open about it. Yeah. Yeah, well I was going to say I think like this I I really really relate to what you're saying about um yeah, trying to trying to trying to build trying to build yourself and mm-hmm. you know one of the reasons why I'm so obsessed with creativity is like this this is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um and and I I have to imagine it's an ever evolving ever changing process. I mean we're in our thirties, right? You're, you're in th- we're like the same ish age. Yeah. I was gonna say, I'm, I'm 28. We're okay. getting there. Yeah, we're I'm slowly 30, getting there. I'm 32. So just you know, like four years older than you. So yeah, sa- the same, like rough, you know? Yeah. We're, we're in the same bracket. Um, but yeah, like first finishing up that first quarter of, of a hundred years. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, but so I, I have to imagine that this kind of keeps co- like, we'll probably have another one when we're like, yeah, forty-five, fifty. Good, you know? good old midlife crisis. Yeah, well, although maybe this is—I don't know—maybe it's just happening earlier. But I feel that way too, and I feel like you know, I didn't—I didn't leave a marriage, but you know, kind of severing my relationship with my mom, which I know she died, but I—I would have had to have gone no contact if she didn't die. So mm-hmm. it, it felt kind of like a dual. Like there was like a grief of a death, but there was also just like this—this this relationship was going to have to end. Um for me either way. And I, I've been thinking a lot, just like what you're saying, like, can I recover pieces of my personality that were underdeveloped from when I was younger that maybe could be good and positive that I just haven't really given time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I, I also deal with like the opposite thing, which is like, I feel like a lot of the person that I am now is related to these like coping mechanisms that I developed in that, Mm -hmm. in that, you know, abusive environment. And some of them are kind of productive. If I can tease apart like the stuff that is shame based. Mm -hmm. So trying to kind of figure out like, can I reframe these, like a lot of my kind of independence and like productivity, I think grew out of me being like, Hey, love me. I'm good enough for you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, I feel that. But I, I feel also, that so like, hard. <laughs> I also love being productive. Like it genuinely brings me joy. There's nothing that I like, there is nothing that reliably makes me like more reliably makes me feel good than yeah. like doing stuff. Mm-hmm. So trying to keep that, but like detach it from this kind of like, this is where my self-worth comes from is it's something I I'm working on a lot. Yeah. And, and I feel that, you know, cause there's a huge part of me and this is a part that I am, I'm trying really hard to let go of Yeah, is, you know, the, the need for validation, like yeah. external validation yeah. and, you know, and, and I feel like artists to some extent really depend on that. Cause you want to yeah. make something that other people see value in, Yeah, you know, that's the, there, there is no better feeling than to make something and somebody be like, wow, that's really good. Like, oh, wow, I'm really inspired by that. And you want them to see value in you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like your art really is just yeah, your soul kind of externalized. It, it's really vulnerable. Yeah. And and that's one of the hardest things to teach students is it's okay to be vulnerable. I mean, shoot, I'm still trying to learn that 
it's okay to be vulnerable. And I'm also trying to learn to validate myself, yeah. which is, uh, w- which is a really hard thing for me to do, not only as an artist and as a teacher, but, you know, as a person, you yeah. know, relying less on the words of others. Cause that's, that's volatile. I mean, it goes up yeah. and down this way and that way. And, and it it's really hard to, to base your day on w- the words of others. Totally. Like, and, and, and so I'm trying to get away from that and, you know, obviously, like with with the marriage, it takes two to tango. I definitely did some not kosher things. He definitely did some not kosher things. Um, you know, and and I've been and through the rehab that I did, you know, I explored a lot of that and took ownership uh, for my part, which which was, I mean, that was painful. That was a hard pill to swallow because yeah. you you know you you it, it's a blow to your ego and, yeah. um, uh, but in some cases, you know, and 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 from what you've told me about your mom, I mean. That, you know, sometimes there are people out there that just do really terrible things to yeah. other people. Then they don't deserve it. And they didn't do anything to to earn that. Um, well, it is, so it's, it's such a, I mean, I think, again, that's why I think so much about creativity. Because, you know, in my family, I can see that, I can see, you know, these kind of mental and emotional health problems, like, up the family tree. Mm-hmm. And... I feel like I can imagine people, you know, one generation or two generations above going like, Hey, maybe there's another way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's creative. Like I think yeah. like, can I reinvent myself instead of like, you know, getting in this weird shame thing where I have to have like my public self and my private self. Mm-hmm. And that leads to like all of these like totally toxic family systems. And so I feel like if we, if we can, um, if we can think creatively about ourselves and, and making art is like such a good practice like yep. uh, of that. Like it's, I, I would say it's a lot less about the art and more about the making of it. Yeah. It's it, there's a lot of value behind the idea behind yeah, it. Not necessarily the art that's been made, but, um, yeah, cause what's, what goes on behind it. I don't see my mom as a villain. Like, I mean, I feel like I've talked about this a bit, but like, I just see her as a person who was hurting mm-hmm. and who like wasn't brave enough to like get help and like, yeah. I mean, get yeah. and get creative. And it wasn't just her, you know, there's a whole reinforcement in the family. You know, my, my dad is totally uh, complicit and, and maybe even more so, you know, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't see it as kind of like a black and white. Like I see it just like, let's do better. <laughs> like, yeah, let's freaking and, stop it. Yeah. And, and it's so funny you bring that up. Cause I've kind of gone through a similar process with, with my, with my parents, you know, I mean, they, they were, they loved me, yeah. you know, and, and they always made sure that I knew that they are, sorry, hold on. They always made sure that I knew I was loved. loved. Yeah. Sometimes it was hard to really feel that. Yeah. Um, I, I knew it no matter what with my Nana. My Nana was a super stable yeah. figure for me. Yeah. I had to fight really hard for the relationships that I have with my parents now. Mm-hmm. We definitely, with each parent, I went through some real rocky times with both parents. Um, but I'm, I'm really happy to say that like now, I feel like I have a good relationship good. With, with both parents. And it, it, it took a lot of work. Um, do you feel, and do you feel like they've been working too? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. They've it, been real receptive. Be like I'm real proud of my mom. You know, she, she and I went through a real rough patch, uh, for a little bit, but uh, you know, I'm, we're, we're able to kind of rebuild that relationship yeah. now and, and so, it makes me really happy. I'm so moved by those kinds of stories of, especially people who are older in their lives 
at that point, like mm-hmm. reinventing, it's such, it's such a, a victory, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's such a, it's evidence of like kind of human resilience and, and the human ability to kind of reinvent, which is what are, what else are we talking about? Yeah, but, no. And, and it's cool to see how that manifests because yeah. it manifests, manifests differently, you know, for every person. And that's why, uh, the curriculum that I teach at school is the way that it is. So I do process-based art projects. Okay. We focus more on that's awesome. uh, the process instead of the product Yeah, because I, I want to eliminate the stress. I really try to emphasize making art a meditative practice yes. at school, yeah. which a lot of my students were not familiar with that. You know, they, they came in with this really heavy perfectionist streak. Like it oh, was, man, it's bad here in Utah. I mean, it, it's bad everywhere, but it's, it's bad so, here. <laughs> it's so painful. Yeah. Teaching art in Virginia compared to teaching art in Utah, totally different, yeah. totally different. Utah is, it, it, it's a lot, there's a lot more anxiety. Yeah. Like performance anxiety is such a real thing. Um, well, it's very, it's a very like merit based mm-hmm. culture. Yes. That we're and, in. and it's frustrating. What age do you teach? I teach high school. Okay. okay, um, okay. And so I, and I teach at a wonderful school. I love my principal, my administration. This is I, the last two schools that I've been at really supportive administration for the arts. Cool. Um, you know, they're very, very validating. They, they kind of, they've kind of learned, um, which is kind of funny and they've kind of learned that I'm going to come up with all these ideas Yeah, and they kind of just let me do that. They, they're like, you know, as long as the standards what are getting like met. Refreshing concepts so, that you let the so expert decide. Nice. Like okay. I, I, yesterday I had a conversation with my principal about, uh, wanting to, cause, cause we're a charter school. Okay. Um, and I'm basically building up an art program and a music program that didn't exist. Okay. And so I talked to her yesterday about starting some performing groups next year. Cause obviously with COVID, I mean, that's not going to happen. There's too much contamination and impossibility for exposure, but you know, talking about all these opportunities for performing arts groups. And she was just like, yep, go for it. That's cool. Because she knows that the kids need it. Yeah. Which is really refreshing. Cause I've also worked at schools where it was completely dismissed. Yeah. You know, it was these really terrible attitudes from administration. Um, they were just like, what you do does not matter. Yeah. And I'm like, the arts is it matters the core so of much. <laughs> every human being. Our, well, our history for art goes back 10, you know, so, tens of thousands of years. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's like the the kind of like imagination and creativity is like the one thing that is like essentially human and that like can't be kind yeah. of replicated by a machine. Yep. And, I, and it also is a living document. It, right. You know, we are documenting not only our personal experiences, but it's also influenced by the political and social happenings of that time mm-hmm. and location. So mm-hmm. and that's my favorite part of art is you can have two people creating something about the same experience and end up with two totally different yeah. products. Yeah. It's a, it's an, it's like a window. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask about your childhood. Did you feel like, um, when you, cause I, I asked a while ago, like if you felt like you went to different adults for different mm-hmm. things, I, I'm curious whether, you know, and maybe I'm asking less about your experience and maybe more like based on, based on your experience then and your experience now, just what you mm-hmm. think about this. But I, I feel like when children can be exposed to a lot of different types of adults, mm-hmm. it kind of gives them permission to 
keep more of their personality. <laughs> like yeah. I see an adult that has this. And so I know that this is something that an adult could have and that mm-hmm. I could keep. Um, and I think, I think just like an exposure to a variety of like adults you respect can really like encourage, mm-hmm. but what, w- what do you feel about that? I think for the most part that that's true. I took it a different direction because I struggle with really bad anxiety. And so as a kid, I looked at all these different adults mm. and I got confused. Sure, sure, instead sure. Of, yeah. of, instead of pulling from each person saying like, oh, I could take a little bit of this, a little bit of this. I got really confused what and stressed out because like? I was like, yeah. why are they so different? Like, yeah. how are they all functioning? At, you know, like, what's the common denominator? And how old do you, how old do you think you were when you started feeling that and like being aware of that kind of <laughs> eight, like a little, yeah, eight. I was, yeah, I have distinct memories as an eight year old of just getting so overwhelmed. And I, I would make myself sick with yeah. stress over just the smallest things. Yeah. And, you know, and I, and I, I hate to say it was, you know, because of the instability of my environment, but well, I think, I think in part that's what it was. And, and I don't fault anybody for that. You know, they were just doing their best to, to give us stability, but you, there was you have siblings. I do. I have a younger brother. Okay. Um, and he's the whole reason I went into education. Cool. Um, I don't think I would have been a teacher without him, um, because he was diagnosed with autism in 2000. Okay. So he was about four, four or five. And, and sorry, how much older are you? I'm four years older. Okay. So okay. I was eight. He was four. Okay. And he, he is amazing. He is so amazing. He is such an inspiration to me. And, you know, to watch him overcome everything that he did as a kid, yeah. you know, he, he had a lot to, to work through and he still is working through a lot. And, you know, he tries new things and he's branching out and he's doing things that are uncomfortable. And that's so inspiring to me. Yeah. Like, I just, I'm so proud of him. But I spent a lot of time as a kid helping him with homework. Um, And I spent a lot of time, like, playing teacher with him, so to speak. And, you know, and, and it just, it was so natural. Yeah. It was just so natural. And as a kid, I didn't know what kind of teacher I was going to be. Yeah. I just knew as, at some point I made the connection. I was like, well, I really like playing music and doing art, I guess I should go into that. Yeah. But yeah. when I went to college, I didn't, I didn't initially get a teaching degree. Yeah. You know, I, I, I got my content areas because there was a while where I was, I really questioned my ability to, to teach be, because of the things that my music professors would say to me. Yeah. You know, I really, Ugh, I really I questioned so much. it. Okay. And, but, but yeah, but eventually I was just like, you know, screw it. Like I'm going to, I'm just going to do it. Well, when you feel, I mean, when you, when you love teaching, mm-hmm. it, what are you going to do? Yeah. You're going to find a way to teach. I mean, some of the, you know, proudest moments of my life come from my students, yeah, come from too. my classroom. Too. Um, so for example, probably one of the best memories I have uh, it was a few years ago. I was in Virginia. I was working at an elementary school, uh, AS Rhodes, and fantastic little school, super tiny. It's like literally a hallway. That's it. <laughs> um, and I took my I took my choir students to District 14 Honors Choir, and they did so good. They sang their little hearts cool. out. They worked so hard, and I bawled like a baby. Yeah. I was sobbing because. They, you know, I was just so proud of them. I was so overwhelmed with how 
hard they worked on their own and how much joy they got out of it and how excited they were to just be there. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't even, it, it, it ceased to be about the music itself and more about the experience of expression. Yeah. And that to me, I was like, this is why I do what I do. This is why I I go without sleep. (laughs) This is why I, you know, this is, this is why I will never leave the teaching profession because of moments like this you can't get that anywhere else it's i i have felt that as well and that's yeah teaching is also for me something that is like essential to my kind of well-being i think mm-hmm. um and for me i think i mean it's interesting to hear you talk about that you developed a love for teaching from teaching your brother and i think for me it was more like my teachers were the adults in my life that inspired mm-hmm. me and loved me and took care of me because my parents weren't doing that mm-hmm. um so you know my love my love for teaching just kind of came from a love for teachers you yeah. know and you know and I had some amazing teachers myself mm-hmm. um you know it, starting really young too yeah. um but like even even in middle school I was actually I was actually talking to to my partner Corey last night about you know the teachers that basically like I kind of took what I do teaching now, I kind of took it from what I learned from my teachers. Like, yes, I went to school, you know, I got my master's in education. I learned from those teachers how to teach, but how I really teach, I was inspired by teachers like Miss Saletto in middle school. She's my middle school English teacher, Miss Robinson, my middle school history teacher, Mr. Miller. He was a big one for me. I still talk to him. Mr. Miller was my orchestra teacher in high school. And he's the reason why I wanted to teach music. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Newman, he was my history teacher in high school and just the way he was, the way he was able to build relationships with students was unparalleled. Like I, I was so inspired by, and and that's what I really try to focus on because I can't expect my students to make art or engage in art or music without a connection. Yeah. And so I spend, most of my time just building relationships mm-hmm. with students. Yeah. Or if I'm making art for myself or playing, you know, with an ensemble, I really try to focus on the relationship I have with everybody I'm interacting with. Yeah. Because art is connection. Music is connection. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's why it's so vulnerable. And that's why yeah. it's so amazing. That's, that's why it's powerful. Yes. So, okay. I would love to hear you talk about how you like started developing your, your creative skills and also, and I, and I mean your art and music skills. Mm -hmm. And I also mean just like how you think creatively and Mm. how you started kind of developing your creative identity, like how, how, and when you started kind of conceptualizing of yourself as a creative person specifically like before you're 18. So uh, if you can, I'd love for you to kind of just like start from when you're you know you're when you think it started happening i would say i would say fourth grade talk talk me through it fourth grade with miss shackleford um what a lady my first big like art stuff was in fourth grade too yeah she was a wild time oh man she had the biggest personality i loved it so much that was she was the one she's so she's my violin teacher okay in fourth grade private private teacher or at school it was it was just in school okay Um, Which kills me because I think they got rid of that program, which Mm. kills me. Absolutely kills me. It happens. Yeah. I'm not super thrilled with what Utah did with the elementary music program. I'm not from here, so I don't have any context about that at all. Not great. I think think now, (laughs) and I could be wrong. I could be wrong. It's 
they did change it. I don't think, I think it's more like general music now instead of like orchestra and band, but which, which makes me sad because those were some of the best memories I had from elementary was learning how to play the violin and playing with a group for the first time. That was the first time I felt free. Yeah. Like I was able to create something beautiful and I was able to, you know, share something, you know, and, and obviously as a, as a nine-year-old, you're not sitting there thinking like, Oh, let me express all my emotions with this instrument that didn't come till high school. Um, but it was just so, so impactful to me or not impactful necessarily, but it, but I was just, I was like, Oh my gosh, I can make something pretty. Yeah. And it's coming from me. And that felt like that felt like freedom to you. Yeah. And freedom from anxiety. Yeah. 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 It was so like when was you the, were creating and making something mm-hmm. beautiful, it was like, did it feel like self-soothing or did it feel like I don't have to think about myself right now because I'm making this thing? Oh, I completely zone out. I, yeah. I stopped thinking. Yeah. It, so it is. It's almost like it's automatic. I feel like that. I was just talking about this with one of my adult students this week because, you know, a, a lot of my students have been having a lot of anxiety this week mm-hmm. for the listener. Today is November 6th, mm-hmm. 7th, Say, uh, wait, 7th. So yeah, it's been like the election has been this week. Mm-hmm. Um, this won't, this episode won't come out for a little while, but, but to get, you know, to put in the context of the time, I was gonna, I've been in that group too, <laughs> but I've been telling my, my student, my, a, a couple of my adult students we've been working on, like, you know, I, I've been giving them some exercises this week just for kind of like, like sort of calming, like meditative, mm-hmm. like you were saying, like, I'm so with you on that. And I know that I used art that way as a kid. I know mm-hmm. that I did. And that is part of why I think, you know, sometimes I'm a good performer now because I have that skill learned so quickly of like mm-hmm. disappearing into it. Yeah. Um, it, I, I used it as a kid as like such an escape. Yeah. Um, it, it, I was able to let it go and yeah. I would, and I recognized that really early. And that's why as a kid, I would play violin for like five hours. I was like that too. Like I just, it, it was, it was all I wanted to do because, mm-hmm. um, is it felt it reliably felt good like that's mm-hmm. kind of what i'm saying now like even still you know it's making things and, and now you know i do i do a lot of things but making things is the most reliable way to like lift my mood yes and, and that started as as a pretty little kid yeah yep. so it started like that for you just like this is a place where like i feel good I don't have it was to a safe worry. Space. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a safe activity for me um, because there was so much that I felt not necessarily that it was unsafe, but it was uncertain yeah. and uncertainty felt yeah. unsafe to me. Of co- and, I mean, of course. And, and so I really enjoyed it because like I knew, I knew what I was doing. I felt proficient and you know, obviously I wasn't proficient as a nine year old, but, but you just felt like I felt like I was doing something nobody else could do. Yeah. Or quite the same way I did. Yeah. And, and, you know, music, especially because I didn't engage in as much in visual art until like high school. What were you doing as a younger kid? Just like kind of playing? Oh, yeah. I would just play. I would get my hands on as much sheet music as possible. Oh, I mean with visual art. Oh, visual art. I would do, you know, I would do drawings yeah. and stuff. But I would play didn't... like. Yeah, it was, it was more just like doodles. It was yeah. very free form. It wasn't, you know, anything structured. I didn't take any art classes until high school um, okay. with Mr. Taylor. Good old, good old so Mr. You Taylor. started playing music in the fourth grade mm-hmm. 
And pretty quickly, it felt like an important part of yourself. Yeah, it was it was my identity. I, you know, I was I was in, you know, Granite Junior and Senior Youth Symphony. I was doing orchestra pits. I was doing, you know, I I was in as many ensembles as I could get into Uh, when I was in college. You know, and and, and this was a trend that I carried forever. You know, when I was in college, I was in like three ensembles. Yeah. And just because, just because it was, I loved it That's that much. So tell me, tell me how, like, just, I would love for you to just like talk me through like how, you know, that beginning of that relationship with art and with music, like what happened with it up until you're, you know, deciding to go to college, like just what are the important things in your creative On, development? Honestly, it was just a form of expression that nobody could take away from me because it was on paper. It was tangible. And, you know, I, I had struggled with, wait, what do you mean? Like opposed to speech? Yes. So, so I, unfortunately, some of the people that I interacted with were really good at gaslighting. Mm. Um, and that was that one. (laughs) And that was true, you know, growing up and that was true with my marriage. Okay. Um, so I really struggle with feeling like I'm perceiving things correctly. Mm. Um, I really, I question myself a lot and I've done that for a long time. I have a hard time with that as well. And, but art, it was like, this is my perception. It is on paper. You cannot argue with me on this. And you made it. Yes. (laughs) And so I can tell you. It doesn't have to do with anybody else. So it's, yeah, your interpretation is like. And, and that's why I liked it so much is because nobody could take that away from me. Okay. And you started feeling like that about it super young. Yeah, I would say I would say junior high is when I started like consciously being like, no, like this is what I'm perceiving and this is how I'm feeling. And it I knew if I could get it on paper, you know, I could I could be like, no, this is what it is. Yeah. You and can't like, take that away from like me. If I get it on paper, you just mean like you can play what's on the paper with music or are you talking more about visual art? That one's more visual art okay. with the doodles because more things the emotional like emotional turmoil kind of came out came out more with visual art okay music was more like i need to numb my brain i need to like wash myself in this yeah like like i mean like let it Mm -hmm. yeah wash over yeah music was like the follow-up like i would draw something i'd feel a little drained because of the emotional investment and then i'd play music to kind of numb out it's so interesting you know i was just talking about this with andrew my husband a couple of days ago and it's one of the reasons why like I named this podcast artifice um, just because the background of what we do is so interesting. And I, I love the idea that like in one media, like one medium does one thing for you and another medium does mm-hmm. another thing for you. And they're both these like parts of you, but then like there's this you that's an umbrella or like is the other stuff, the umbrella, like it's so, uh, it's, it's so interesting to me. Oh, it's, it's a very, it's, it's very in, like tangled. Yeah. It's like a ball of yarn. I love it. And depending on like what someone knows you from or when they know you from, they might know a totally different you, even though like it's all you and it's all like, yes. you know, authentic, like in the given time. Yeah. Um, and, and you, and you will notice, or at least I noticed, um, as I started tracking the things that I would make, cause I've definitely gone through phases with certain things like college, way more exploratory. Um, you know, I was doing some real wonky things just to see what would happen. Yeah. Uh, as I've got older, it's gotten a little more reserved and a little more pointed. Like I'm making this with a purpose. Yeah. 
Um, cause I try to conserve my energy a little bit more. Um, yeah. the, the older I get just because teaching is draining less time. Yeah. You have less time and less yeah. energy. Yeah. Teaching is, is very draining, especially this year. This year has been rough. Um, you know, and I know that everybody's in that boat. Um, but yeah, like, and, and I kind of miss that, that exploratory nature a little bit. Like I wish I wasn't yeah. so reserved sometimes. I, I talk about this with my students sometimes and tell them like, you're in such a precious time. Like, don't waste it. Like, yeah, you have time to just like stretch out. Um, cause I feel the same way. And, and I feel like I, I did a fair amount of that in my, in my teen years, but okay. So, so by a pretty young age, you were recognizing that music does this for you and visual art does this mm -hmm. for you. Um, and you started, so music started in fourth grade and just kept, you just kind of kept getting more serious about it. Yeah. Until, you know, you decided to major in art and then visual art, you kind of dug in deeper in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so I, I wanted to, I always like to talk with people with professional artists about the decision-making process to like, be like, okay, I'm going to go for it and try to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make this my profession. But mm -hmm. maybe before that moment, is there anything else you want to say about, um, just, you know, your creative identity or, or anything that you feel like, you know, there was this thing that is like an important point or um, do you feel like it was yeah, I mean, yeah, cuz I'm still trying to kind of figure that out. Um cuz obviously, you know, in, in college I thought I knew. In college I I was like this is what it's going to be the rest of my life and I just I know who I am and kind of miss that confidence. Um yeah. but well, even just like in retrospect, like I mean, I love hearing artists like look back and be like, "You know, I thought this and I I wish I would have known this or it was really weird. I like knew this thing, you know, so there doesn't mm -hmm. have to be a thing, but I just want to make sure that you have time to say it. If, if there is any, anything else that you want to share that was important to your development, like up until the time you're like 18. Yeah. This is no, the time I, I to think share we, it. Okay. We, we talked about it. it. Yeah. We, we got that. Okay, great. So, um, so yeah, t tell me about the decision to become an artist. And I believe mm -hmm. me, I get it that it's a thing that like later we look back and, kind of go like what am I doing but at that time how did you make how did you make that decision yeah, I don't I don't know if there was it ever an aha moment with that it just I think the assumption was just always well this is just what I do you knew you and wanted so, to teach and it was what you were doing yeah and I it just it just made sense to me to just because I was already doing art and music a lot it was most of what my time went to and I knew I really liked teaching and they just kind of came together on accident like there was never a day where I was like, well, I'm going to be an art teacher. Like so, it just, it just kind of, I just, it just happened okay. in a way. Um, I just knew I, in college, I, I just knew I had to do art and music. I had to, okay. um, so, teaching, teaching as much as I love teaching and as much as it is a calling for me, it, I want to say it was almost secondary. Um, you needed to develop like yourself first. I, I, yeah. I needed your, to your skills. I needed to do the, the, perform, the, the fine arts. I really needed to invest in that. Yeah. And, and then I kind of figured it out in a backwards way after that. So I know that you said you had some college teachers who were like discouraging about things, but mm -hmm. at the time that you were kind of like applying to school and auditioning for schools, mm -hmm. were there like, respected adults in your life, either family or, you know, music and art teachers in high school who tried to talk you out of it? Nope. 
Okay. Awesome. I didn't, I didn't get that message until my you were in college until, until my junior year of college. So luckily, cause I was just doing generals before that. So I didn't really have much, much exposure to like my content area until yeah. my, like, actually, I guess sophomore year, but that was mostly visual art and they, and my visual art teachers were fantastic. Yeah. Um, really inspiring individuals you know why we had... were your music teachers thinking that you couldn't be a good teacher if you took if you were taking like why that that is a great question and i don't understand i, I can't even like sometimes when i, I hear people no say things idea. i'm like i know what kind of school of thought they're coming from i don't agree but but yeah i don't know because it was think it was you a... weren't committed enough or something i don't know it was a really young music program at at that school's westminster and there, I mean, the teachers were great. I mean, I really loved the dean of yeah. the music school. He was fantastic. Um, and, you know, but, the, but there were a couple of other teachers. So like my private violin teacher, she, uh, she, she got real sexist a couple of times mm -hmm. with, with my pursuit, you know, cause I, I started developing carpal tunnel and tendonitis. And so it was getting hard for me to play certain things. And she would just make the nastiest comments about my inability to play oh, or like inability to get or something. Yeah. And, you know, she, she made a comment that, and I'm trying to remember exactly how she phrased it, but she was like, oh, you know, music isn't just a fluff subject that you can get and then go and be, you know, oh, just she be was a homemaker totally and make babies. On you. Oh, I hate that so much. Yeah. And I was like, I left and I was like, dang, that sucks. I experienced a little bit of that in college too. Um, it, it were, when did you get married? How old were you? I was 21. Yeah. It was 2013. So you would have been like, were you still in school? Were you still in your bachelor's degree? Yes. Yeah. yeah I uh, was in my last year. So she said this before I was even dating anybody. Uh, I, I, I experienced a bit of that in college and I, and I think it's because I was LDS in mm -hmm. this place where there weren't a lot. And it was just like, I, I, and it's, you know, I think back sometimes now and wonder if I was projecting some of that on my teachers and like maybe mis misunderstanding some things, but mm -hmm. I, but I do think it was there where like I had some teachers who just decided that I was never going to actually do this career. Yeah. That's kind of, and that's kind of what she did and it was super frustrating, but at the same time, it also made me want to pr just prove her wrong. Yeah. Cause I did, I didn't like what? when people told me I couldn't do something. Well, you know, I know I'm, I'm like such a broken record about this. I talk about it freaking all the time, but like, that's a lack of creative, creative thinking. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think, what was it that we were talking about before you said something before that made me think I wanted to talk about this later, but, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter how we, how, why I'm thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Emily, stop prefacing, just <laughs> say a thing. Um, I sometimes feel when I teach kids, like, and, mm -hmm. and I, I like, I like that I teach all ages, but when I'm teaching younger kids, like, you know, 10, 11, mm -hmm. 12, um, I try to be really, really careful to be aware of like the students that are easy for me to teach. Cause they're like me, mm -hmm. like students who I feel like I just, I get how their brain works. Cause it's like mine Yep. and students who are different from me. I try really, really hard to think like to tell myself, like, Emily, you probably can't even imagine the ways in which this child can be so sparkly and so creative. And 
and I try to stretch my own creative mind to think of what they could do, like to try to find the things that they're good at. And I don't mean like the music things, but like Mm -hmm. the brain things Yep. and try to come up with assignments and come up with ways of teaching that will like encourage that. And when I hear like college teachers, like not doing that and not, not trying to look at their student and think like, what can you be? Like, what can you be? I just, it makes me mad. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but it, you know, it, and I'm kind of glad that my music professors did that though, because I go out of my way to make sure I don't do that now Yeah, because I remember that Yeah, like it happened yesterday. Can you say like, I, I mean, this is something that you and I both obviously know we're the kind of people who are stubborn. I mean, mm-hmm. I, to- I identify this way as well. <laughs> like when someone yep. tells me like, you can't do this, I'm like, watch Watch me me. yeah like I will do it um but not everybody is just like that so do you feel like like what what kinds of things would you want someone who is maybe was maybe in a similar situation to you having teachers saying you're you're not you're not doing this the right way do you feel like there are things that you would want to say that might encourage someone to take a stubborn choice even if that's not just kind of their inevitable reaction yeah I mean Cause honestly, I do try to teach my students to be stubborn. I'm not going to lie. I, and I, and I do tell them that point blank, um, you know, cause how I tried, you, I tried to tell it? them like, what do you, yeah. What do you I, say? Uh, something I tell them quite often is it is not my business, uh, to decide what you can and can't do. My only job is to help you get there. Yeah. It, it is none of my business. Uh, mm. to, you know, I, I do not have a crystal ball, and I cannot see the future. I cannot determine for you your possibilities. Yeah. That is entirely up to you. Yeah. Um, I can only support you and the goal that you set with me. And I can hold you accountable to that goal. But that's really all I, I'm there for with that. You yeah. know, it's and I actually I, I just participated in a webinar um, about uh, creating uh, uh, so, so in education, they call it social and emotional learning or SELs and, you know, creating environments that are supportive of social and emotional learning, as well as teaching students to be empathetic. Yeah. And it was a wonderful webinar and they talked about what is called inconvenient creativity. Mm. Um, I'm so interested to tell me everything. And so basically this webinar talked about creating environments where students feel safe to be vulnerable and they feel safe to be exploratory. Um, And, you know, they feel like they can do what they're wanting to do. And it's not our job to determine what their possibilities are. You know, all we can do is foster, foster the type of, or or, let me see how I want to phrase that. Um, our job is to create an environment that allows for inconvenient creativity. As teachers, we see a lot of precious opportunities where a student will come to us with an idea, with a desire to do something, you know, very specific. And it is not our job to determine whether that's worthwhile or not. Yeah. We can't say your art is not worth my time. That is... Yeah. Oh, you guys sneeze. Sorry, it went away. <laughs> I feel like with the mask, Katie and I are wearing masks. I feel like with the mask, you can't tell that like 
mm-hmm. I'm going to sneeze. And then I'm worried that suddenly my eye will just start watering and you'll be like, are you crying? Like, are What's you going good? on? Am I sorry. impacting you? I just had a sneeze that was like brewing and then it went away. Oh, I hate sorry. That. So he, please continue. Yeah. So it is fantastic. And I think they have a recording uh, available of that webinar. I'll be happy what to send is you. Inconvenient creativity. Sorry. So what, inconvenient like- creativity is essentially, um, and I'm trying to think of the definition that they used. It's, I, I guess it'll be easier to explain just with an example. So one of the examples that they used in the webinar was the class was working on a project and a student came up and said, Oh, my friend is moving. Oh, like it's inconvenient for you as the teacher. Yeah, or just inconvenient in general for the class. For, for the, the class. Okay, okay. So Got they were it. working on a project. The student asked if they could take a break from the project to make a farewell card for a student in the class that was moving the yeah. next day. And the teacher, you know, could very easily have said, no, we're working on a project. You need to do that on your own time. Yeah. But it was more important that the student was excited about the opportunity to create something. Yeah. Especially for another person. Yeah. Um. You know, and, and so that was an opportunity to take advantage of the inconvenient because I didn't like that he said inconvenient, but that's the term that he oh, used. I love it. I, yeah. Like now that I get, now that I like understand what you're talking about, mm-hmm. gosh, like what isn't inconvenient creativity in my, yeah. in my life? Like, but I think I, I have a good habit of saying yes to that kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. if I have an idea, I mean, I'll, if, you know, I'll be talking to Andrew and I'll be like, oh, I had, I'll te- like, I get excited about ideas. Yeah. You know, even if they're like maybe small, but I'll text Andrew from like wherever I am and be like, oh, I have an idea I have to tell you about tonight. And then like when we're cooking dinner or mm-hmm. getting ready for bed, I'll tell him about the idea. And sometimes I can, I can just see him going like, oh, that is going to be hard to do. Yeah. But it's important to foster and that enthusiasm. I, I do. I'll do it though. But yeah. sometimes I'll find myself like, like I'm, 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 I'm making this online songwriting course right now. Oh yeah. No, I remember and you were mentioning that Katie, it is so much work. Like yes. I think <laughs> nobody will ever know how much work this is. It's I've been working on it. I mean, I've probably spent like 16 hours on it yesterday and mm-hmm. I, it, it's nowhere. I mean, I'm going to be working on it t- till like April. Yeah. Um, it's going to take me a long time to do it, but you know, that's just an idea. Like I ha- I've come up with this method I should teach, I should turn it into an online songwriting course so that I can, I can, more people can have it than I could ever teach mm-hmm. one-on-one and they can take their time with it and do their own kind of pacing. But like, it's not convenient and I'm going to spend the next six months on it. Uh, and it might make money, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, but, um, but it's something you're passionate about and that reason alone is why it should happen. Yes. Like, well, and also saying no to motivation seems like the worst possible decision. Yeah. Like there's to to me as like, as an artist, I don't don't necessarily mean as a person, but as an artist, there's nothing that feels worse than having an inconvenient motivation. Yep. uh, And not having the time, like really having to be like, I can't work on that right now. Yeah. Or what could be even worse is not having, the encouragement and support because that's half the battle right there is somebody could have a really good idea and they are so excited to share it with somebody. If that gets shot down immediately, where does your motivation go? Where does your enthusiasm go? And it, and it makes you not want to do that with future events, like future exciting ideas that, you know, have 
real potential. Like even the ideas that don't have potential are still worth exploring mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. then you can say, okay, well, this is, this is why maybe this didn't work out. Right. And you can apply that to future events. And so, totally. and so, and I try really hard, not only for myself as an artist, but for my students, you know, cause these are future artists. I, you know, I might be teaching a future mural painter. I might be teaching a future, you know, oil painter that, it has artwork hun- hung up in the Met. Yeah. You know, I might be teaching a future member of the Utah Symphony. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. And so my, my biggest concern is making sure that they know that their ideas and interests and enthusiasms are going to be supported and encouraged yeah. by me because that's what they're going to remember. They matter and they're valid. And I, I like what you said. I mean, you kind of said it quickly, but they matter and they're valid whether or not they become mm-hmm. a work. Because yeah. go, going down, you know, a dead end path, I think we really diminish the value of that in mm-hmm. our culture. Um, I can look back and think about all of the stupid things that I spent time doing that no one's ever going to know about because there's not a, a work attached to it. Mm-hmm. But the works that I have completed are 100% like created in part by diversion a diversion b yes you know like obsession one obsession two you know and you and you hear all the time you hear people say people don't remember what you did but they remember how you made them feel and that's very true you know i cannot tell you what i did in or what i made in art class with mr taylor in high school i can't tell you any of the projects i made but i can definitely tell you how he made me feel as a person and as an artist I can definitely tell you that he was supportive and encouraged me and that therefore gave me more confidence to pursue that in, at the collegiate level. Yeah. And I, that that's going to stay with me. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah, I don't expect my students to remember the art projects or the music, you know, pieces that we play in years to come, but I do believe that they're going to remember if they felt welcome in my classroom and if they felt like they could express themselves yeah. And I, that, and, and, you know, and, and I wouldn't be able to continue teaching if I couldn't say at the end of the day that my students felt supported yeah. or, or, you know, or at least, at least I tried to make them feel yeah. supported. Well, and again, I mean, I, uh, again, 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 I harp on this so much, but yeah, like if my students don't continue to do music, who cares? Mm-hmm. But hopefully the things that we talk about and the ways that I try to encourage them to think outside the box and to Mm -hmm. just pay attention, ask questions, be curious. Um, I hope that will help them be better parents. I hope that will help them be, um, you know, if they have a child that's really different from themselves or if, you know, maybe they have family trauma, like those, you know, if they, if they find themselves in a, in a difficult marriage, like those are skills that can help you, in those kinds of situations, like these mm-hmm. kinds of like thinking, like thinking of different possibilities, thinking of other kinds of futures, like, you know, whether it helps you stay and solve a problem or whether it gives you the kind of courage to leave and find a different, you know, I just think like these exercises of like looking at a bigger picture, mm-hmm. th- you know, thinking outside of like the, the driven path, mm-hmm. um, that's the thing that like, that's the thing that I feel like it's absolutely necessary. Um, like music is necessary, but it's, in my opinion, it's a lot less necessary than approaching our lives with creative thinking. Yes. 
I feel like that. I mean, it's, it's, I, it's I not agree. that the arts aren't necessary, but like, I think the arts are necessary because like, it's a sacred space for that kind of work. I agree entirely, you know, and, and it's so, and that's one of the best part about the fine arts is it, you know, cause you mentioned trauma. It really can help you work through trauma. It, yeah. it can be so therapeutic, even if that is the only reason you're engaging with art, that is still a yes. worthwhile endeavor, you know? And, and as I mentioned earlier, and I guess I should rephrase, um, you know, I, like the marriage was abusive on both parties. Like I, feel like in some ways I was abusive and yeah. I feel like in some ways he was abusive and, you know, I do think that both of us tried our best, but it just wasn't a good you, time. Well, you were was, so young. I was stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I was dumb, but <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, and, and I can't, I do think that at, in his heart of heart that he thought he was doing his best. And so, and it took me a long time to get to that point. I was angry for a really long time. Yeah. I had, I held a lot of anger, which a lot of people would be very surprised to hear because I don't express it. Mm -hmm. I, people, I, I, I struggled to let people in, um, you know, because of the trauma that I have experienced, you know, before my marriage and after my marriage, yeah. um, and during, um, you know, but I, but, but I'm trying to get to a point where it's just, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get to a point where it's okay to work through it. Yeah. And, you know, it took me a long time to get to that point. Cause I just held on to it. I just, I clung, I clung to those bad experiences and, and I tried to let them define me. You and mean like in the last couple of years you've clung to those experiences or you mean yeah. like, okay. Because, yeah. because you I mean hadn't like worked the marriage through experiences. Yeah. Cause I hadn't worked yeah. through it at all. Well, I kind of, I have like three things that I want to talk about with you, like mm -hmm. in the, in this last part of the podcast and, and we're already talking about one of them, but I want to talk about, I want to give you a chance to like philosophize more about teaching and what you think is valuable there and what kind of, what are your soapbox things? Like what are, th I mean, you've said some yeah. of them, I'm sure, but wait, hold on. Okay. Um, okay. So I want to <laughs> talk about that. I want to talk about like what, what your brain is sparkling about with your own art lately mm -hmm. and then i want to talk about how you feel like you use creativity like in your personal life like as a human fantastic yeah so let's we're already it. talking about that so but i let's just like uh, yeah, give it a direction i love it but you know I've, I've been sitting here trying to think like specifically what i want to ask and i i i think i'd like if you i'd like to talk about and we can we you know, we can talk about it, but, um, yeah, like, like how you experience creativity in those moments or what you feel like maybe in retrospect, what, how creativity has helped you up to this point mm -hmm. or just, yeah. Yeah. Creativity before, let's see what year I want to pick. So creativity before 2018, because 2018 was kind of the the year where things started to really shift. Were you still married? That's when I left. Okay. Um, so that's Gosh, when that seems like it was longer ago. It, yeah, no, it does. I and, Cause I didn't really advertise like when it, when we ended things either, it just kind of, I just kind of did. Yeah. I just dipped. And so, uh, but 2018 was also when I started to kind of find out that I was struggling with mental illness. Like, it, like I knew that I had depression issues for a long time. But I didn't really address them because they weren't that bad. You were like 26. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's like so, the exact same age I was when I started being like, something's wrong. Oh, that's wild. I did not <laughs> I know that. I don't think it's that, like, I don't, I've talked to so many people who have similar, I think there's mm-hmm. something about the age. Yeah. And I think especially if you are that kind of an age and you don't have kids. Because yeah. I think if you have kids, you're so focused on that, you mm-hmm. know, hopefully uh, that like you maybe just can't but you can't afford to like kind of have a crisis and a reinvention yes that would that makes a lot of sense i I, that's my theory but yeah i've heard a lot of people be like yeah 26 27 that's when i was like holy shit what's wrong with my brain yeah oh my gosh yeah no i i feel (laughs) what's happening to me i feel that so Um, you knew you had depression and anxiety but it was kind of like you were for the first time kind of really well it's when it started getting really bad yeah um so july 2018 i actually tried to kill myself okay um and it was the first time that i went to like a psych ward okay that was heavy yeah (laughs) let me tell you and and i actually i had to there were actually several suicide attempts uh after or before yeah so between july and october and so before before that you had depression but you didn't feel suicidal I had experienced suicidal uh, ideation, okay. but not to the point where I actually was going to do something about okay. it. Well, actually, no, I take that back because I did the first time I tried to to commit suicide was 2016, but we didn't really do anything about it. Like I went home and just okay left it alone. And then 2018, it was a series of attempts. Okay, okay. And I actually went to a trauma center um, where. I actually started learning about things like codependency and gaslighting and boundaries. Like I had before this point, I had never really heard about any of those those words before that age either. And, and so, um, so I spent a lot of time in and out of the hospital at that time, um, which was, it, it was really hard for me because I was starting to deconstruct my personality yeah. And I actually got to a point where I couldn't have, I couldn't have even told you my like basic likes and dislikes. Yeah. That's how deconstructed it got. Um, you, like, I feel like I know what you mean. Cause like, mm-hmm. I feel like I kind of have experienced something similar, mm-hmm. but like, what do we mean? <laughs> Can we like try to say like, yeah, like, what, what does that actually mean? So, you know, the, the identity that I had adopted in my marriage, you know, I, I was, it was a, I was basically just trying to make my husband happy. Everything re- revolved around him. And I was struggling because I felt like I was failing. I don't know if I was actually failing or not, but that was my perception. Um, and I just perceived that I was a failure. Um, you know, I was going through a lot of tra- traumatic things yeah. at that time. And I was taking it very personally and I was taking responsibility for a lot of things that were happening to me yeah. um, at Did that time. Cause at that time I was uh, also being sexually assaulted by a coworker and I kept gosh. that to myself. I didn't, I didn't tell anybody about that um, for months and wow. it, it, it just happened until I could leave and I went to a different school district and he followed me. What? Yeah. That was wild. Um, but luckily he was at a different school, so it wasn't like an everyday thing, but it was still really difficult to know that he went to the same district as I did. Yeah. Um, and, and that was hard. That was really hard. Um, so when you're saying you're just deconstructing your personality, do you feel like you, you know, you got married young enough that like, like, do you feel like you were deconstructing something that was never yours? Yes. 
Okay. Yes. So it wasn't, yeah. So it wasn't like, yeah, I, I feel like I relate to that too. Like in some ways I'm, I'm, I'm sure I feel like you probably will relate to this, but like Mm -hmm. in some ways I feel like my personality has always been big. Like Mm -hmm. I think as a child, like probably a lot of people saw me as having like, but, uh, but in my own body and I was, I've been stubborn forever, Mm -hmm. but in in my own body, in my own mind, I didn't claim a lot of those things. I thought they were like bad things. Yeah. And I was really trying to like downplay that stuff and up and and up play like traits that didn't really feel like mine but that I felt like other people wanted mm-hmm. me to have so f- so for me like yeah it was it, my my experience when i felt like deconstructing was was maybe more like getting rid of this baggage that someone else told me i needed to have that i and then trying to build. Yeah, it was baggage that nobody told me I needed to carry, but I felt like I had to carry anyway. Yeah. Um, well, probably I, culture told you and yeah, because family I, told you accidentally. Because yeah, that's where I also left the church as church well. Church told you. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so I wasn't raised really in the church. Like I kind of would. Like I, I, I would go occasionally because my friends were there, um, but I wasn't raised in a religious home necessarily. Okay. Uh, my mom would like participate every now and then like she would go through periods where she would and then she wouldn't um so so that was kind of inconsistent but then I decided at 17 I was like no let's give this a try I want to check this out and I just never felt like I fit in Mm. you know it was it felt like and I've said this before to several people it was a mold that I was never made to fit um, yeah. which, which was a rough time for yeah, me because leads, I kept trying to. Right. And then it leads to toxic things. Like it's really a mind, a brain, a mind warp to feel like, well, this is supposed to be working if I just like do these things. Um, and then if it really doesn't work with your personality, like it will never work mm-hmm. no matter how like good you are at attempting it. Yeah. So I, I relate to that. Yep. Okay, and and it and it makes me feel you know so bad because I was you know and I saw this phrase a while ago and I feel like it's really accurate. I was bleeding on a lot of people that didn't hurt me. Yeah, you know, and that includes my ex husband too. You know, uh, because there were some traumatic things I experienced before him, and I was just I was just in a place of hurt for a really long time, Mm -hmm. and unfortunately, I think I took it out on him in in a lot of ways, you know, and I, and I do still feel a lot of guilt about that, you know, cause, cause he didn't deserve that, you know, and it, and I don't think inherently he's a bad person by any stretch of the imagination. It just wasn't, you you didn't have the skills to take care of each other. No. And, you know, and, and I think he was expecting a totally different person than what he got. Yeah. Um, because a lot of these issues didn't really manifest until after we got married. I, I fully get that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I feel, I feel lucky Andrew and I have like changed in this in the same way but like it the the stuff that I went through in my late 20s mm-hmm. if I had been married to any number of other people it would have ended a different way yeah because <laughs> I, I am I'm different and that's why I'm so grateful for Corey because he he is riding the wave yeah it's like a like a pro like a you champ with him? so we've been together for a year and a half okay and I have never been this happy in awesome. my life ever. And he's just, he's so supportive. 
He's so giving of his time and resources. You know, he, he literally supported me through rehab, you know, and that's a big ask for a relationship. You mean just recently? Yeah. 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 He, he stuck right there. He participated in all the therapies. He participated in, you know, in in every way that he could, that he was there and that, you know, I was petrified. He was going to leave. I was like, I, you know, and I wouldn't have blamed him. You know, it's, it's a, hard thing because uh the the place that i went uh they treated it as if it was like an addiction yeah you know i did a 12-step program and everything um you know and and so and they even talk about it you know like i'm in recovery and stuff and and it's and it's a struggle it's a struggle every day but he is he's right there yeah and you know and he is he is an amazing person and he actually is the reason that I, cause, cause I went through a period where I stopped making art entirely because yeah. I just felt so dead inside. Yeah. And he's the reason that I've been able to start creating things again. That's um, great. And so, well, that's, it's that's... just, it's just amazing what happens in a, in a different environment. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a similar setup, you know, and I'm in you, a relationship with someone, yeah. but the but dynamic, you feel like there's room for, yeah. So I totally derailed you, but I, oh, you're but fine. is there anything else you wanted to say about how, how create how you feel creativity like has played a role in like helping you kind of um get to a healthier place? I mean, it it's allowing me to work through the trauma that I have it in my life. It gives you like those tools. Yes. And Do you feel like it's great? It also so like when you're thinking about rebuilding your personality or or mm-hmm. deconstructing it or deciding what do I keep? What do I not keep? Does that feel creative to you? Yes. Yeah. Because it's a lot of, it's a lot of the similar process. It's a it lot is. of trying things, seeing yeah. what works, seeing what doesn't work. Yeah. And, and it feels to me, it feels, I keep interrupting oh, you. Oh, you're fine. But to me, <laughs> to me, that feels also vulnerable in a very similar way to being like, I wrote this song. I made this thing. Like be like trying to be, especially like in front of, you know, Andrew and I have been together for 12 years, wow. which is an insane amount of time for mm-hmm. how old we are. But, you know, when I, when I am trying to reinvent myself or mm-hmm. not even, it's not even reinventing. It's just like, Hey, I think this is part of who I am, but mm-hmm. I haven't told you about it, you yeah. know, or like, this is something that I think I've had since I was little, but like, it has never had room. Like I'm, gonna give it room now mm-hmm. and like saying that to someone who i've known for such a long time and being like i'm gonna try this new thing and it, it might be yeah. something just like how i talk or how i you know like it, it's not like i'm gonna try it's not like you know i'm gonna try biking like mm-hmm. i'm not talking about stuff like that yeah, i'm talking no, about like it's be, a fundamental change like, yeah like like stepping it like embodying a personality trait that i relate to that I haven't tried. I mean, that it is really vulnerable. Yeah, and it's and it's scary because you don't know what the reception's gonna be. Yeah, like, you, will you still love me if I like? Yep. If I let myself <laughs> be like this kind of person that I think is more who I am. Yep, yep. And yeah. and I've had some scary moments with uh, with Corey. Uh, you know, where I'm like, hey, this is what's gonna happen, and I just want to know if you're okay with that. It's going to happen either way, but I just really hope you're sticking around. I don't think I've said this on this podcast before, but, um, I, I sometimes listen to Esther Perel's podcast, which is, Mm -hmm. she's a, like a marriage and sex therapist. And she has this great podcast. What will we do now? I think is what it's called. And basically she just records sessions with couples, but they're Mm -hmm. anonymous. It's really 
I like it. But that sounds um, fun. Yeah, she she has a she's a PhD and she's I think she teaches at one of the Ivy Leagues. I don't know. She's like a, she's brainy, but also she's a very artful mm-hmm. way of thinking, which I think is part of why I like listening to her. Also, she's from Belgium and her voice is so pretty. Oh, that's fun. Um, I like. But that. she t- says she has this thing that I think about so often. She says like most adults will have three like like if it's not a marriage like three kind of um really defining like life partner types of relationships mm-hmm. and she said like it can be with three different people or it can be with the same person and i, okay. I love thinking about that because like like i feel like andrew and i are like on our second marriage <laughs> like, like oh that's, that's you interesting know, like and i feel like that about it and it makes me feel really um hopeful mm-hmm. and it feels freaking creative like hey like what are we do what are we gonna do next like what's our what's our like next thing gonna be like and like this kind of agreement of like we're gonna keep evolving and like we can we can try to evolve together and like that's our goal because we oh, like how delightful freaking yeah. love each other and we're we're good for each other Aww. but you know like i just think that that type of thought, you know, whether it's like, hey, I got married when I was 21. I, mm-hmm. got, I was 23, but like, you know, got married when we we're 21. Hey, I, I'm not in, I can't be in this marriage anymore because like, it's time for me to like be a new kind of person. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, yeah. I just and, and that's, like and that's kind a, of what I think what happened is, yeah. you know, we, we were trying to navigate that and it just didn't, it, it just wasn't meant there to be. There wasn't a that. way to like evolve together to a new thing together yeah and you know and i genuinely hope that he's doing well i do know he got remarried and and i hope it's a better marriage for him honestly you know and you know i i would never wish ill on him or i i try really hard not to think ill of him either because you know as i mentioned earlier like i definitely did some not kosher things uh in that marriage and you know i'm trying in i'm trying really hard to take ownership of that and that's a hard pill to swallow because you don't want to think about yourself that way. But you know, it's important though. I mean, it's just, it just, the way that I think of stuff like that is like, it's just true. Like Mm -hmm. you did something that you're not proud of. Like it just doesn't matter what you say about it. It's just like true. Yeah. It's just, nothing's going to change that fact, you know, and there's no point in lying about it to make yourself look better because at the end of the day, you're left with yourself. Yeah. And if you, and if you, if you can manage to, be honest about it then like you can you get you get to do whatever you want with that narrative Mm -hmm. you know and you can kind of then you get to if you if you don't own the mistake you can't own an improvement (laughs) you know you can't own like a growth yep um but you know again like when we're so young like how are we not gonna yeah, That's no, why... I was really young and honestly I didn't know what marriage was supposed to look like because uh, my parents yeah. my parents didn't have a good marriage. I mean, I think about that all the time. I think about that with my parents and you know, things got really bad. I'm the oldest and my mom is a narcissist and, you know, targeted me as her scapegoat, mm-hmm. which is hard. As soon as my little brother was born, which I was two and a half, and you know, I can think I've said this before, but I can think about my parents being you know, 22 and 24 mm-hmm. or 24 and 26 and seeing this problem. And I can totally understand how 
why the problem existed. What I don't understand is why it didn't stop, you know, like, yeah, that's because whatever we make mistakes and it doesn't mean it's like, it doesn't mean it's fine, Mm -hmm. but it, but it just is. And like, the important thing is like, stop, (laughs) find a better way. Like, yeah, that, that feels creative to me too. Yeah, no. And, and I love, I love the creative exploration, like in that process as well. Yeah. Cause, and, and that's why I think it's important to teach art, you know, to, to small kids and to, you know, and to keep that education going because you learn so many important life skills by practicing the creative process. Yeah. Like creativity, as you mentioned, is not just in painting or drawing a picture or playing a musical instrument or singing, like it's creativity with your circumstances. Like how are you going to make what you have work mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to the best of your ability? Yeah. Resourcefulness, that, problem solving. Yeah. And, and you can't get, really get that anywhere else. It's not really something that you see explicitly taught anywhere else. That's yeah. That's what I was trying to say before. Like, it's not that the arts are exclusively where creativity lives, but it is kind of exclusively mm-hmm. where we focus on it. Yes. Which I think is why art ed- arts education is important. Yes, I think the arts are important for these other reasons, like that they are a cultural reflection and a cultural history, and and for a million other reasons, you know, mm-hmm. for our interpersonal and just personal um, joy, you know, like. Yeah. But for a but, like even beyond that, I mean, creative thinking and these kind of like principles of like creative resilience like handling vulnerability handling rejection these kinds of things like perspective shifts like these things that we explicitly focus on and have like entire classes on in art these are skills that you need as an engineer as a politician as a doctor like yeah and you know as and a it's spouse and it's so fun that and that's why i like modern art so much because uh, you know, in art history, you see this shift, you know, and like, it's really, you know, kind of like with the invention of the camera, artists are no longer confined to just paint what they see. Mm-hmm. They're no longer stuck to depicting just scenes from reality. There's this creative freedom that starts emerging um, with, you know, with this like, okay, well, we have cameras to take care of that to capture images and yes artists still you know reproduce reality but you know all of a sudden you're seeing a development of the idea behind art and the meaning behind art and yes this 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 happened a little bit you know before the invention of the camera but you see just a big shift and that's when art gets really fascinating there's two books that i really enjoy um one of them is called why your five-year-old can't uh make that and then there's another one called But Is It Art? And both of them really explore that topic. And I really enjoy uh, bo- both of those books, you what know, you for that. What do you think about But Is It Art? Like, I-, I haven't read the book, but I just mean this question. Like, what, do you, what do you think art, like, what do you think makes art art? I think it's difficult to have, like, a working definition of art um, because art can be so many different things. You know, we we have, it, it's just so diverse. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of things that we can classify as art or artistic. Um, but I think it just boils down to a, a creative expression yeah, of an I idea. So, I think so, too. Or even just, yes. And I, I also personally 
feel like a creative intention is is art too. Yes. Like, yeah, just a creative perspective. Yeah, you're, is, you're altering... You're, you're altering the perception of somebody with a creative endeavor. Yeah. Or just, yeah, having an, having a creative intention in, in your being, like, even if you never say that out loud, like, I guess you will express it, like, mm -hmm. in the reality of your, like, decision-making and uh, relationships, but... Yeah, and, and I would also say there's also... I don't know if I'd say it's required, but I think that art is more successful if there's a meditative quality to it. Mm -hmm. Um you know, and, and I try to promote this. I'm actually working on a curriculum right now uh, for meditative arts practice. Cool. Where, um, you know, we art projects are led by different mindfulness activities or meditative activities um, to promote that inner reflection. Yeah. Um, because, you know, art is vulnerable, as we've talked about, you know, and, and it's hard to be vulnerable if you're not already in tune with that with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to say about your curriculum or your philosophies about teaching or just, just anything else about teaching? I mean, I just, I love what I do. I'm so thankful for what I get to do every day. And I'm so grateful for my students. They're my world. They are, you know, everything. When people ask me if I have kids, I'm like, yep, I got about 150 of them, Yeah, you know, cause they're, they're my kiddos. I, you know, yeah. I, I think about them so much and just, you know, how important it is to, to really go above and beyond for them. Is there anything that you would want for non-artists and non-teachers to know about like what it is that is important and magical about what you do? It's really freaking hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's hard to teach that subject. Um, you know, for, for people that aren't involved with the arts or in education, just the biggest thing I would stress is just how important it is to keep it in schools, like how important it is to keep an arts practice, you know, visual, performing, theatrical, whatever it may be, um, you know, not only for teaching the content, but just to give kids a break and it gives teachers a break sometimes too. Um, yeah. you know, it, it gives kids a chance to just unwind and be looser and be, you know, be like pay attention. Yeah. You know, cause, cause school is rigorous. I mean, especially right now, um, you know, school is really tough and you know, if you don't give kids a chance to kind of vent like, like a pressure cooker almost, you know, you have to let them vent every now and then. And that's where yeah. the arts and education kind of, kind of comes in. Yes. You're teaching techniques and skills and concepts, but at the end of the day, you know, you're also helping provide balance in a student's life. Yeah, and you're te and you're teaching them a coping skill. Yes, that is a healthy, safe coping skill. We do so many coping skills in my can, class <laughs> that they hopefully will keep doing. You know, like yeah. I mean, and I and I think in a lot of ways, sports does. Sports is similar to yes. the arts. It teaches you all of these like really incredible teaches you um, teamwork yeah like and... interpersonal skills mm -hmm. it teaches you how to deal with failure it teaches you how to like you know be a part of a team um and not always be the person who's the most important you know mm -hmm. um but it also it also teaches you how to like get your emotions out in like hopefully safe and healthy ways mm -hmm. and but our culture doesn't have a hard time appreciating that about sports our culture has a hard time appreciating the arts which just blows but my it's, mind it's doing the same thing but it's doing it for 
a different kind of a mind, you know, a different type of, or, you know, not that it's a binary at all, but I mm-hmm. mean, it's just, it is so clear to me that it's, it's important. It's, it's important in so many similar ways and so many like far reaching. Yeah. Just, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's so important. <laughs> it, I agree very it's, much. So it's, it's everything, you know, like just these, the, the skills are, mm-hmm. are, it's like how we keep being a species that can be. Yes. <laughs> that doesn't kill ourselves. Yes. As a species. <laughs> um, okay. And then, yeah, finally, I wanted to just, yeah, talk about your, your art, like just whatever you want to say about it. What do you make? What do you like making? So what are you thinking about? I love portraiture. I love yeah. figure drawing. Um, that. I just really love humanity. Like I really love exploring, you know, micro expressions or, you know, just, just the way that the human body works is so fascinating. You'll be hard pressed to see me ever do a landscape. I freaking hate it. Freaking hate doing trees. Like, and it's so funny because, like, so in high school, I had a crush on a guy. His name was Alex. And <laughs> I just I just thought he was the bee's knees. And I really loved his family. And he's actually my best friend now. Cool. Like, we've been friends for a really long time. And he's married and has beautiful kids. And, you know, and I love his wife. And But, you know, back in high school, I had a crush on him. And uh, I drew a picture of the sacred grove for his family. For non-Utah Mormon people, the Sacred Grove is where Joseph Smith s- talks about having seen God and yeah, Jesus. And Jesus, and, yeah. yeah. And uh, I haven't drawn a tree since. Yeah, <laughs> it was. You were like, "That's the end of that for me." Yeah, because it was it was a really big drawing too. It was like wow, twenty four by thirty six. Well, you made it, it for so- his family. Yeah, they still have mm. it. They still have it hung up, and I have not drawn a tree since mm. because it was terrible. And he teases <laughs> me every doing now. it. Yeah, he teases me every now and then. He's like, "So have you drawn a tree yet?" And I'm like, "Definitely not. I have not done that." So you love drawing people, <laughs> and I have a follow up question, which is, do you? I mean, I'm sure the answer is yes, but I want you to just say more about it. Do you see like people in like three dimensions, you know, around your life? Do you see people differently? Do you like, do you like look at people differently? I do. And how and what is it like? I, so I spend a lot of time analyzing people's faces, which with the masks has really sucked because I'm very limited now. I get very limited information. Um, I love to, it's very intimate when you are doing figure drawing or portrait work, like portrait work. It's very intimate because I prefer live models. Um, I, I hate working from photographs. And so, again, COVID has made it really difficult to do and that. And it's also if you're mostly painting deceased people, then. Yeah, you know, it's, and. It's and photos. It, yeah, it's, it's, and it's definitely interesting um, when, I, when I do dead people portraiture. Um, I don't know what else to call it, like, because it sounds so harsh, but. You could call it, like, o- o- obituary portraits. Or obituary portraiture or something (laughs) sad sad time photos remembrance (laughs) portraiture i like that remembrance portraits i like that i'm gonna probably use that um when i when i do that though i get a chance to really because i try and talk to the people about why these people were so important um sometimes and sometimes i know them um i did a portrait a few years ago um of a friend's dad who passed away and i had a chance to kind of know know the dad and he was he was a really fantastic person 
Um, and so you try to insert their personality a little bit into the portrait because, you, you know, otherwise it, it, it's hollow. You know, you have to really try and, and breathe life into the portrait or figure drawing that you're doing. You don't yeah. want it to be too static or stoic. You know, you don't want it to be uh, lifeless. You know, you want it to be more than just a portrait. You know, you mm. want it to be that person's essence. Why, and uh, why does that feel important to you? Like, what, like, wh like, why, why does it feel interesting to you? Because, I mean, people are interesting. You yeah. know, no two people are alike, it, and there's so just, much variety. Is it just like your you know, demanding of yourself that you spend like a lot of time with like this person. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, would, I would say that's part of it. Yeah. Um, you know, you're spending time getting to know that person. Like I try to talk to people as I'm drawing. Um, well, really it's just spending time with their eyebrows, you know, like you're yep. spending time with like their bones. Structure. Yeah. And you know, and as they talk, you know, you see their face come alive, you know, and, uh, cause, cause my style, my pref, my preference for style is quite sketchy. Um, I don't like things to look too polished. It just, it, it, to me, it makes it feel very like distant. Yeah. And I don't like that. I like want it to, sterile. I, I want yeah. it to feel intimate. I want, yeah. I want people who look at my portraits to be like, oh, like I can feel the energy coming off of this. So if you're not getting a commission, how do you decide who you want to draw? Um, so honestly, it just depends on who's available and I kind of just take what I get. Um, so before COVID I would go to figure drawing classes, just, I would just drop in. Um, cause there's, there's places where you can do that. And it was just whoever was there. And I liked it because I never knew what I was going to walk into. Mm -hmm. I could walk into a situation where it's a really outgoing person, um, or maybe somebody that's more reserved and, trying to figure out how to capture that with charcoal or pencil or pen, um, or even paint, you know, it's your, cause your medium is going to affect how that uh, affect what's produced. Um, so like if I'm painting it, it's going to look a little, a little more clean, a little more refined. Um, but I'm able to work quicker. And so I'm able to capture a lot of information really fast and then go in and add tinier details. Mm -hmm. When it's a pencil drawing, it gets really messy and I, and you see a lot more movement. Mm -hmm. And that's what I really enjoy about pencil work um, or graphite, uh, charcoal, whatever the medium is that I'm using. Um, I like being able to see that movement because to me, it makes it feel like that person, you know, they're, they're imparting their essence yeah. a little bit. And I want the, and I want the person that I am drawing to feel like they're valued yeah. because they're more receptive. You know, yeah. they're, they're more receptive to what you're doing. I mean, they're exposing themselves in a lot of situations. A lot of figure drawing is nude. That's, you know, that's as exposed as a person can get. Yeah. And, you know, and I actually, in college, I was a nude model cool. for the art department because I wanted to see what that experience was like. Yeah. Um, and it actually helped me really realize what was, realistic for one and like posing somebody and two, you know, understanding what it's like to be that kind of vulnerable, you know, it, it, it's just, it's wild. It feels to me like, um, it's such a, it's such an act. Like it's such a, um, it's such a, it's such an interesting, um, like action to mm -hmm. to invest this time to be like hey i see you like that's yes. that's what it feels like you're saying that you're doing which 
Yeah, because it feels like it's it's like you're drawing a portrait, but it's like a it feels like a bigger statement about like yes, this is the value of this person. Yeah, and, and each of us, you, you don't want to quote unquote use them. Like I don't yeah. want them to be like, oh, I'm just here for your body. Like yeah, it, it just it feels cheap yeah. and. And I don't, I don't like making people feel that way. I want people to feel like I value their time and I, and I value their efforts, yeah. their willingness and their, to like, cooperate. Individuality is what it sounds like to me. Yeah. Um, what's going on in your personal relationship with music? So fun story about that. The, so my eating disorder made me stop playing. I have not played in six years, which is really hard for me. It's okay. Like what what's going on in your relationship with music? Like I mean, uh, do you li- do you like to listen? Oh, like, I love it. Yeah. And I'm actually trying to get back into playing. Yeah. Um times so, and seasons. Yeah. Like, let it be. Yeah, and it, but but it's really hard though because I feel like I have lost a good chunk of my personality that I didn't want mm-hmm. to lose because it was music was such a huge force in my life. Um, and and I hate that I teach music, but I don't participate. I feel a little bit hypocritical. Well, you don't participate right now. Yeah, but, it, but I'm I, hoping to soon. I'm hoping, yeah. you know, once things are more safe, you know, with COVID and yeah. stuff, because I did find a teacher finally after after six years, you know, I finally did find somebody. And Can I ask why you, like, why were those things related? So with the eating disorder, it, it was entirely, I I struggle primarily with body image issues Yeah, and whether or not it's actually factual, I, I I have really bad body dysmorphia and I just did not want to be seen on stage. Oh, it was like a performing thing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever play by yourself? mm -mm. It's just like too loaded. Yeah. It's, it's a super loaded, uh, topic for me on on yeah. that but luckily uh one of my friends uh, i used to play with him in a symphony he uh he's really understanding and he kind of knows the situation yeah um well, and but he said he'd be willing to work with me and, and get me back into playing which i was just like oh my gosh elated um yeah because because i miss it i miss those, it so much those things apart and kind of yeah um yeah mu- music is everything to me and it was so funny, actually. On my way here, I was listening to a playlist I made while I was in rehab, um, you know, and it just, it always hits me right in the feels. I don't know why I chose to listen to it on the way here, because it usually makes me cry. <laughs> and I was just like in the car, like, don't cry, don't cry, don't do Aww. it. But I wouldn't stop listening to that playlist. <laughs> okay. And, you know, it just really got me in the feels. But yeah, music is really really huge part of my life you know and i try to listen to a variety of music yeah. i try not to pigeonhole myself too much so um you'll, you'll get it back like, yeah i mean it sounds to me like like i don't know and i'm, I'm in no way an expert mm-hmm. on mental health but um it sounds to me like you know you're trying to be careful about how you rebuild that relationship with the instrument mm-hmm. so that's great like and you know it's only it's it's you know, six years is such a short time in your life. So yeah. And I'm, and I'm hoping to, I'm hoping the more that I work through the trauma that I've experienced in my life, the more willing I'm going to be to pick it back up. Yeah. And in the meantime, you're participating by teaching and listening Mm -hmm. and it's still like part of who you are. 
Yeah, because it's it's fun being a conductor. I'll tell yeah. you that right now. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I've only had that opportunity a couple of times just because of the type of music I do. It's not, I don't do it that much. But mm-hmm. when, um, when I was directing, I, I've directed a vocal jazz ensemble a couple of different times, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's it's pretty, it's pretty satisfying to participate in music in that kind of a it's, way. It's so much fun, and I just it, it's probably my favorite way to engage with music. Honestly, yeah. Um, well, and like you it's said before, like music fun. does a certain thing for you and and visual art does a different thing. And I mean, I think it's totally, totally understandable that like making music and playing your instrument and performing feel real different. Like mm-hmm. they are different. <laughs> They're totally different things. Um, yep. Well, I think we've about done it. So unless there's anything else that you wanted to just say, um, we'll move on to the last question, which is, what is your dream collaboration? Ooh, dream collaboration. You can make it extravagant if you want. That's that's a hard one. I actually really want to participate in Mural Fest in Salt cool. Lake. Cool. I would love to do that and work with uh, t- uh, Ted Slaymaker, cool. who is my tattoo artist. Cool. And if we honestly, right now we collaborate on all my tattoos, but I would love to uh, work with him in more in more of like a mural setting cool and i think that'd be super fun to do just because he's he's got a beautiful mind he's got such a beautiful mind i would love to interview him i'll have to get his contact information from you he is the art that he makes stupidly good (laughs) stupidly good um and i actually met him through another really good friend of mine my best friend jordan and you know, cause I had moved back to Utah and Katie, I, I thought Alex was your best friend. I know I got a lot of best friends. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Alex is my best like guy friend or is the best girlfriend. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and then, you know, I've got my best friend, Sam and I'm best. I'm yeah, I teasing got so many. Cause I'm just paying attention. I, I, I know. Just, I, I got, just want you to know I'm I paying attention so to your words. Many. I appreciate that. <laughs> I feel valued. I remembered Alex. Yeah. Good old Alex. I know he's going to listen to this and be like, so I thought you're, I was your best friend. <laughs> Don't tell him about it. Just kidding. I, I was going to say, he knows where I'm at. <laughs> he knows. He's, but, yeah. he's already planning on listening to the podcast. So oh, um, I love that. He really I, is a best friend. He is. He's such a good person. And, and Jordan's a good person. Wait, and, what were you saying about Jordan? I totally interrupted oh, you. Oh, no, you're good. So she, so I moved back to Utah from Virginia and I wanted to get a tattoo for my Nana to, to honor her memory. And I happened to see that she was at a tattoo convention with Ted and she mm. showed me some of his work and I was like, holy oh, crap. You met Ted through Jordan. Yes. And cool. I was like, holy crap, this is amazing. So he's been my tattoo artist ever That's since. That's awesome. I love it when people answer this question with someone they already know. Yep. I, I think it's really like it's, it makes me feel happy. Oh, I love it. Now, if I was to do somebody with like, that, like, I don't know, like if it was a celebrity, Jack Black. Yeah, I want to work with Jack Black. Jack is so cool. He's literally my celebrity crush. <laughs> I love him too. And like, I just, and it's so funny because Corey has the same personality. He's just like Jack Does Black. Does Corey have the same eyebrows as Jack Black? Little bit. Yeah. He's, he like. Jack Black does like this thing where like the middle of the eyebrows go down and like. Yeah. He can do the same thing. I can't do it. And Corey, Corey kind of like looks like Jack Black and acts like Jack Black, You're which is funny. Like <laughs> I didn't do this on purpose, but I totally did. Which is funny. Cause he doesn't like Jack Black. Oh. He thinks Jack Black is obnoxious. And I'm like, You're the same person, like, babe. It's a mirror. Okay. And I just, I just, I love Jack Black so much. So if I could do something, I don't know what it would be, probably something musical, but 
If I could use home with Jack Black, I would die happy. Awesome. I could die tomorrow and just be good. <laughs> I love it. Like if I ever meet Jack Black in my lifetime, like I, I don't know what I would do. I'd be so <laughs> starstruck. Uh, I love it. That's a great choice. I, I'm a big fan of his too. Um, okay. Katie, the last thing is tell everybody where to find you if they want to see your work or talk to you. So, um, I have an Instagram. It is at Mikhail Katie. So M I K H E L C A I T I E. And that's primarily where I put my artwork right now. Cool. I'm working on a Facebook page. Cool. Um, you know, definitely a work in progress because I'm trying to Instagram's great. It's, it's the place. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And you can, you can get a hold of me if you want any, you know, portraits or commissions, things like that. Uh, I'm pretty responsive on Instagram. Cool. So Katie. trying to, trying to upload all my artwork there. Yeah. It's a process. That's great. So, well, Katie, yeah. it was so awesome to catch up with you and I, it's been great chatting this oh morning. My gosh, thank you. <laughs> I, I'm excited that we finally got this to work out and I just want to say thank you. I, I want to express gratitude and appreciation for you inviting me to come down and talk and for, even you know doing this podcast like i know it's probably a lot of work and it's a ridiculous amount of work but i but i I like it it. you know and and i love it i love that you do it and i just i feel honored to be Ah, here so thank you thank you so much thank you thanks for listening to artifice our theme song is as you are from my album masks with artwork and merch designs by sarah keel If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, you can reach me through my website, emilymerrellmusic.com. That's E-M-I-L-Y-M-E-R-R-E-L-L music.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.